as I was. Away this week at William Jewell College in Liberty, Missouri, I had the opportunity to meditate upon the text that I want to bring to you this morning, Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. And I had the opportunity to meditate in my small dorm room there as we stayed on the campus of the college and attended the conference and the board meeting. And I entitled the message this morning, A Blind Man Sees. A Blind Man Sees. I thought a lot this week about sight, about the visual realm of our world. And it hearkened me back in, to a time that my wife and I shared with our daughter, Lindsay. Lindsay at the time was three years old. She's six now. And she was being prepared for eye surgery. She had two eye conditions, one of which was called amblyopia and the other, esotropia. And I'll never forget the day we walked into the hospital to have that outpatient eye surgery for Lindsay. I can remember vividly that from the very first moment she woke up that morning, she didn't say a word. She knew that that was the day of the surgery and she was very pensive. She was real quiet and we gathered her things together and Beth and I went to the Hospital about 6.30 in the morning. I'm convinced they make you go that early because they don't like you. And everything smelled of hospital, you know, when you go in there. And I'm sure for a three-year-old, that's a very uh, stark contrast of a smell. And they only allowed one parent to go into the surgery waiting area, where, of course, they have a number of gurneys that are all around the surgery waiting area. And my wife told me later that Lindsay hopped up on one of those gurneys and they put on this gown that was, you know, bigger than any man could put on. And she was dwarfed in this hospital gown and she was looking around at all of these other gurneys and all of these people who were laying there waiting for this surgery to begin. And she was very pensive. She wasn't saying anything. Her eyes were wide open and she obviously didn't quite know what to expect. She was totally silent the entire time. And just at the point where she was being wheeled into the surgery area, she looked around the room, she saw all the people dressed like her, she saw all the nurses scurrying back and forth, she was smelling that smell of hospital, and just as she was about to be taken away from her mother, she did this, she motioned for her mother to come down right to where she could whisper in her ear. And so her mom, of course, thought that she was going to communicate something like, I love you, or something along those lines, and so when Beth put her ear to that whispering voice, Lindsay said, get me out of here! <laughs> and I thought, my sentiments exactly. <laughs> she had that surgery, and she came through rather well, and in the providence of God, about two weeks later, if I remember correctly, we were on our way to Little Rock, Arkansas to begin the pastor of the Bible church. And just the way the Lord had worked all of that out, and in God's gracious providence, as soon as we arrived, we started asking about whether or not there was a pediatric ophthalmologist who would be able to help us, and of course, 
On the elder board at that time was Dr. Steve Christensen, who has since moved on to the University of Minnesota for research and writing, teaching in the area of pediatric ophthalmology. And he continued to monitor Lindsay's progress, having been in contact with the doctor in Southern California, and things worked out very well, and Lindsay has uh, perfect vision. And yet, as I talked with Dr. Christensen and the doctor back in Southern California, I asked a lot of questions about amblyopia and about ESO and exotropia and a lot of other uh, medical issues related to the eye. And the more I asked questions and the more I received answers, I was fascinated about the human eye. You know that very small thing? You have two of them. They go right here on each side of the nose. And we take them for granted. All of us really do that. And when I think about the human eye that we take so much for granted, it's really the ingenious, infinite mind of God that could create something so complex and yet so crucial and yet so compact the infinite, ingenious mind of God. As I thought about that this week, my mind began to race as I read and meditated upon this passage about sight in general and about what our eyes see both naturally and spiritually. I began to rummage around in the Bible for the number of times that the Scripture speaks of the analogy of spiritual sight as over against natural sight. And I was amazed. For instance, in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 23, verse 8, God commands judges, those who sit in a court and adjudicate facts of a matter, He commands judges not to take bribes. Because in doing so, the Scripture says, a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. And I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. How the Lord just moves from the platform of the natural eye and the sight of a person to the spiritual dimension, using that analogy and bringing us to the place where someone who takes a physical bribe, someone who takes money from one hand to another, can actually cause a spiritual short-sightedness. In Deuteronomy 16, 19, the same idea. You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Likewise, in Isaiah 44, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says that a person who worships incorrectly is a person who does not, quote, see or know so that they will be put to shame. In other words, if you don't worship the Lord correctly in the God-ordained, prescribed way, then you do not, according to the Bible, see or know. You don't spiritually see. You don't perceive, understand correctly. And over and over and over again in our Bibles, we move from the natural dimension to the supernatural. From that which is true on a human plane to that which is even more true on a supernatural plane. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 8, the Bible says this, God speaking through Isaiah, Bring out the people who are blind, even though they have eyes. 
and the deaf, even though they have ears. In other words, there are a lot of people in our world who have physical ears, but they don't hear the message. Many people in our world have physical eyes, but they don't see the truth. And one of the very accounts that speak of this analogy between the natural and the supernatural is before us even this morning, Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. And although the text itself doesn't mention spiritual blindedness per se, it's the entire import of this passage that cries out for our understanding that speaks from the natural into the supernatural. It's an account that demands us to understand from the storyline right to the point that Jesus wants us to learn. The spiritual implications, the blindedness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and Herod, and even the blindedness of the very disciples of Christ himself. And yet, it's again underneath the surface of the text, because the only thing the text brings out to us is the miracle of Jesus healing a blind man. Notice what it says in Mark chapter 8, verse 22, And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. Now this vivid account of the healing of this particular blind man has no parallel in any of the gospel accounts. It is unique here to Mark's gospel. This healing, as well as the one recorded in chapter 7, verses 31 to 37, where Jesus puts the spittle on the man's tongue and he becomes not deaf and mute, but but hearing and speaking. Those two miracles are recorded in Mark's gospel alone. And as well it should, because both of those are distinct and unique. Nowhere else do we find Jesus taking a spittle or saliva and putting it on a man's tongue to heal him. Nor do we find Jesus taking some spittle and putting it on a man's eyes to give him sight. It's only recorded here, and that because these are very unique situations. Now, I've told you from this pulpit before that when Jesus Christ heals someone, he heals them instantaneously. And it is true. But here, it's instantaneous, yet in two stages. And I'll explain that in a moment. Some might have been confused because they say, well, this looks on the surface not to be an instantaneous miracle from Christ. This looks to be something that occurred over time. Well, that may be true, but it's only a moment in time. It's only a few seconds. And this man is healed. The question is, why the unique way Christ is healing this man? Well, we'll discuss that in a moment. But I do want you to know this, that in that section of chapter 7, verses 31 to 37, that opens with the healing of the deaf-mute, 
and that which closes this section, the healing of this blind man, are like brackets. They're like bookends. And what Mark is doing is he's giving us on the front end a very unique miracle, this miracle of healing the deaf mute, and the miracle on the latter end, the latter bracket, with the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 tucked right in between. And that, my friends, is very significant. This whole section, as well as the accounts of the feeding of the five and the 4,000, provide for us the perfect backdrop for the issue of the disciples not being able to understand the move of Jesus Christ from the physical dimension to the spiritual one. From food and deafness and blindness in the natural realm to spiritual nourishment and spiritual hearing and spiritual sight in the supernatural realm. In fact, even Mark records for us in chapter 6, verse 52, the essence of the issue. And they learned nothing. They understood nothing of what Jesus was doing. And what Mark wants us to focus in upon is this that the disciples of Jesus Christ are experiencing all of these miracles. The actual witnessing of the healing of the man who is deaf and mute, the actual feeding of the 5,000 and then the feeding of the 4,000, and now the healing of this man who had lost his sight. And yet at the same time, we're told in very honest and frank terms that the disciples learned nothing, understood very little of what Jesus was doing. I even told you last time that after he feeds the 4,000, he goes to his disciples and he says, now that you see the miracle that I have just done, I want you to watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And you know what their response was. Their response was, as they got into the boat, we don't even have a loaf of bread. What is he talking about, the leaven? We don't have the bread that we kept in the fragments. Where is it? And they were scurrying around to find out what was going on in the natural. And Jesus was trying to communicate to them in an analogy, in illustrative fashion. Men, listen. I'm talking about the poison in the bread of the Pharisees, not the physical bread. I'm telling you in these terms that they have a teaching and they have a life that doesn't measure up to the Spirit of God. They're not teaching you the right way and they're not living the right way and you need to beware. You need to watch out for them. Watch out for their leaven. Watch out for the poison in their bread. And Mark records that they simply don't understand. He even goes further. In the passage that we have before us, it links up with that which goes after in a most remarkable way. And it's really just a very simple outline. The passage itself is really the passage itself. And the second point in your outline is the principle behind the, pas the passage. Look at verse 22 with me. And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. In verse 23 it says, Taking the blind man by the hand, 
he brought him out of the village and spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? You say, what's going on here? Well, Jesus and the disciples want to go away to a secluded place. And it's the intent of Christ to teach his disciples very, very plainly about what is now to happen in their lives. In fact, in verse 32 of this very chapter, Mark 8, the Bible says, And he was stating the matter how? Plainly. What he'd done was he used these analogies, these metaphors, these parables, to explain these things to the disciples so that they would understand and so that these parables and analogies and metaphors would be hidden from those who don't understand. And what is occurring is that the disciples are not understanding. And so in love and in deference to their dull hearing, in deference to their hard hearts, he begins to tell them very plainly what is to happen. And what does he say? He says in verse 31, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now folks, that's plain. He is not talking about the sign of Jonah being in the belly of a fish for three days. I will be in the belly of the earth. He's not using anything from the Old Testament. He's not using anything from what he has said before. Right now, at this very moment, he's telling them plainly what is about to happen. In fact, everybody who outlines the Gospel of Mark outlines it in this way. This passage is the dividing line between the first part of Mark and the last part of Mark, right here. This is the beginning of part two. He's going to say plainly what's going to happen to him. He's not going to speak to the disciples anymore in such vague terminology. He's not going to be obscure. He wants their eyes to be open and clean because what he's about to tell them is so very important and they must hear and understand the message. It's that clear. It's that important. And he's going to do it in a most incredible way. You say, what's the uniqueness behind his putting this saliva on his hands and then placing it on this man's eyes? I'll tell you what it is. When he goes through these stages of the healing of this man, he's proving, again, this platform from the natural to the supernatural. Because you know as well as I do, with all of these other miracles that Jesus has already performed, if he wanted to heal the man instantaneously, all he would do is do what? Heal and he would be instantly healed. He wouldn't even have to say anything. He could just think it because he's God come in the flesh. But he does this on the outside for a couple of reasons. One, I think, for the man himself. You say, why would he physically want to touch this man and put his own saliva on the man's eyes? Number one, this man, because he is blind, is very sensitive to the touch. If you ask any blind man, if you talk to anyone who has been blinded, they will tell you in no uncertain terms that touch is far more important than sound. Why do you think we put braille out for blind people? Because in the sense of touch, they can interact with us in the reading dimension. 
oh, it's not true that sound is unimportant. Sound is very important for a blind person because it's the accentuation of this sense that they have still yet because their sight has been taken away. But even more important than the sound of a person is the touch of a person to blind eyes. I think that's one reason. But I think there's really a far more significant reason, and it is this. When Jesus touches this man, and when he asks him if he sees, how does the man respond? Notice what he says. Do you see anything, verse 23? Verse 24, And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Verse 25, Then again he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. You know what this is? This is what we could call, even though it's a picture of the natural dimension here, if you transcend this ever so slightly, you can see so very clearly that this is three stages of spiritual development in the sight of every person who knows Jesus Christ. You say, how so? Well, it's interesting. Mark uses three Greek words, three different Greek words, to talk about the stages of the sight being restored to this man. Notice, first of all, that he uses in verse 24 this phrase, he looked up. That's the Greek word anablepo. Blepo is simply the Greek word to see. It's a very common word. It's a very easy word, blepo, to see. But when you attach a prefix on the front of a word like blepo, it changes the definition or meaning of the word depending on how that prefix is defined. And the word ana, the prefix that's attached to this, means up. And so that's why it's translated to look up. Or, as this word is most normally used and defined, his sight was restored, given back to him. Literally, when Jesus healed the man by putting the saliva on his eyes, his vision was restored. But it wasn't restored completely. Because the second stage of development in this miracle is from that second word that he uses there about sight, and that is the word diablepo. And that means to look intently. Do you see it there? In verse 25, Then again he laid his hands on his eyes, and he, the man, the blind man, looked intently and was restored. That's a different word. And what that word means is this, his eyes were opened wide. And it implies a circumspection. It implies a, a, an eye wide open to everything around you. You're looking to the left, you're looking to the right. You can see these images around you. It's akin to someone who has their vision restored to some degree, but it's more than just looking up. It's more than just looking dead ahead of you. You're now beginning to look around you, and you're beginning to see through the vision of your eyes that which is around you in the peripheral. And then, in a third way, at the end of verse 25, the word used there is emblepo, which means that he saw clearly. And that's why it's translated there, he began to see everything clearly. In other words, he, he saw things so clearly, the word means seeing even at a distance. 20-20 vision. 
It's not just that you saw directly in front of you the person of Christ who has healed you. It's not just in the second stage of sight and development that you see to the left and the right and you are circumspect, that you see the peripheral vision, as we call it. Now you can see so clearly, you can see from a distance. You say, why does Jesus heal him in this way? Because that is the perfect analogy in the spiritual sightedness of every believer. Oh, it's so good. It's true about us, isn't it? Every one of us who names the name of Jesus Christ, who is a true believer in Christ, when we came to Christ, what was that which we saw? Only that which was in front of us, the person of Christ. That's all we saw. All we saw was Christ. All we knew was that our sins were forgiven. If someone were to come up to you five, ten minutes, five, ten days, two weeks, two months after you had come to faith in Christ and they ask you, give us your testimony. Give us the history of your relationship to Christ. Do you know what would be said? Simple words and simple concepts. I was blind, but now I what? Now I see. That's it. That's all you know. That's why John says in 1 John, the three stages of development are, first, the children. The children in the spiritual maturity stage. All we know is that our sins are forgiven. All we know is that we know the Father. We're just looking straight ahead, and all we see is the person of Christ. And it's glorious, and it's wonderful, and it's unimpeded as far as it goes. We see Christ, but that's all we see. And yet in the second stage of spiritual sightedness, what do we go on to see? Well, as we mature in Christ, as we grow in Christ, we begin to see to the left and to the right. We begin to see the bigger picture. We begin to look in the peripheral. We begin to see and the peripheral vision that we have is even more glorious as we continue to mature in Christ, but it also makes us much more aware of the events around us. This man saw large and indistinct objects. He saw them as men, which, by the way, implies that he once had sight, because if he'd never had sight, he wouldn't have known that they were men. And when Jesus restored that sight, he knew they were men, but he, he saw only dimly. He saw in an obscure way. All he could see was straight ahead. But as his vision began to clear even more, he began to see around him that there was movement. But he couldn't identify them. And yet when Jesus asked him again, the third stage of spiritual development and the sight and vision of our life is that I see everything clearly and that I see from a distance. 2020 vision. Say, when am I going to have that 2020 vision? Just before your glorification? But you're going to have it. And when you have that 2020 vision, you're going to know as you are known. Isn't that a glorious thought? And the miracle of Jesus is pointing to us a very clear picture of the disciples themselves. You say, what stage are they presently in? Well, you might hear me say, they're only in the first stage. But I want you to know that as the passage goes on, which we'll develop next time, this is a very, very incredible issue. You say, what is it that Christ is aiming at? Well, it's as almost Christ is saying this, verse 27. Jesus went out after this very healing, along with his disciples, to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, who do people say that I am? He could be saying it this way. Men, who do people see 
when they see me? What's their vision like? What kind of sight do they have regarding me? And what's the answer? Verse 28, they told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others one of the prophets. In other words, the people in the environs, the people in the villages, the people, some of them who may have even been healed, still, because of their spiritual blindedness, do not see the person of Christ for who he really is, the Messiah come from God. All they see about him is, well, he must be a prophet. He's a good teacher. He might even be John the Baptist. And he's a good man. He's the man who preaches and teaches at my local synagogue. He's very holy. But you know, they don't see. Their eyes are still blinded. They don't see the light of the glorious gospel of truth. They have spiritual cataracts on their eyes. And then Jesus says, But who do you, my own disciples, who do you see in me? Who am I? What do you see when you look at me, Peter? If you're the spokesman of the group, if you have spiritually minded eyes, what do you see? And what does Peter say? Peter said, verse 29, you are the Christ. Hey, maybe there's, a, maybe there's an initial understanding coming on. There's a revelation here. The Bible says that this was not given to Peter of his own, but was given to him from the heavenly Father. He's beginning to see the spiritual cataracts falling away. You say, does he immediately move on to the second stage? Not on your life. What happens? Christ warned them to tell no one about him. That's exactly what he told the blind man that he just healed. Verse 26 of Mark 8. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Why? Because this would be a, a premature issue. Christ does not want to be known as the Messiah in such a complete and total way. It's not time yet. Don't go into the village kicking up a lot of dust about what I've just done with you. And apparently, for maybe one of the first times, this blind man didn't do what the others did. Totally ignored Christ and went into the village and told everybody about Him. He apparently obeyed. What does Peter say? Does he come into the second stage of development? Are his eyes wide open? Does he see to the left and the right? Is he beginning to grow in his spiritual sight and maturity and wisdom? Well, he said, you are the Christ. Boy, that's a good answer. That's right. And then Christ says, here's what's going to happen, men. I, the Son of Man. You're right, Peter. That's who I am. And I'm going to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, the ones who are spiritually blind, and they're going to kill me. And after three days, I'm going to rise again. And it's going to show you and everyone around you that I am the Messiah. I am God come in the flesh, and I'm going to rise again. I lay my life down, and I take it up by my own initiative. Now, here's an opportunity for Peter. Here's this opportunity to catapult into this second stage of spiritual sightedness. Does he? He was stating the matter plainly. There was no more illusion. There was no more obscurity. It was right out there. Peter, this is who I am. You've said it yourself. We're now ready to ascend to the next level of spiritual maturity. Verse 32, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Whoops. 
you know, just as soon as Jesus was stating the matter plainly, Peter had the opportunity to ascend to the next level of spiritual sight, and he blows it. Verse 33, turning around and seeing his disciples. See? See that little key there? Jesus, knowing that the disciples are right there listening to every word, here's an opportunity for them to know that Peter has failed the very test. Seeing his disciples, he turned around, he rebuked Peter, and he said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man. And you know that's just like us. Just like us. We see right in front of us and we see the person of Christ and He saved us. He's forgiven our sins. And we have the opportunity. And we have the matter plainly set before us in the pages of Holy Scripture. Jesus is speaking to us so very plainly. And we blow it. That's true. We blow it. It's every opportunity for us to not only say, You are the Christ, but yes, Lord, You have spoken plainly. You are the Messiah. You will be mistreated. You will be killed. You will be raised again on the third day. And we bless Your name. You are God come in the flesh. How can we do what we know we must do in support of You even now? That might be a good thing to say. That would encourage the heart of Christ. Peter says no. No, we're not going to see you killed. And what does Peter do in the garden? As soon as they come to take Christ away, takes out his sword and he tries to kill the servant. The guy ducks and he cuts off his ear. Jesus says, no, Peter, no, no, not now. If I were, I would call a legion of angels and immediately be proclaimed as God. It's not time. The Son of Man must suffer many things. Peter, the suffering has not yet occurred. You see what's occurring? The disciples are on a slow, a slow but deliberate path of spiritual instruction. And that's what we are. We're on a slow, slow but deliberate path of spiritual instruction. And sometimes we say the right thing, and a lot of times we blow it. You say, does Peter ever learn? Oh, you bet he did. When did he learn it? Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost. The control and the infilling and the power of the Holy Spirit for which then Peter preached and thousands came to bow their knee to Jesus Christ. Oh, he learned, but oh, it was painful. Denied the Lord three times. Wept bitterly. Said in John 21, I'm leaving this deal. I'm going fishing. I'm going back to my old profession. Start, stop, start, stop. Does that ring any bells with anyone? Oh, it rings bells with me. Two steps forward, three steps back. Lord, I think I see clearly, but then I realize something's on the left. Something's on the right. My circumspection is not what it is. I'm not looking around. My eyes aren't wide open. Lord, I succumb to that. Help me, Lord. Help me. Oh. When the Bible speaks in these analogies, it is so clear. No pun intended. How's your spiritual sight today? Have you seen Jesus Christ? You're looking straight ahead. Do you see the cross? 
you see that Jesus Christ did, in fact, as the Son of Man, suffer? Was killed by the very religious leaders who proclaimed that the Messiah would come and they missed it because of their spiritual blindedness, their dullness of hearing? And did He not, in fact, rise again from the dead in three days? Oh, yes, a thousand times, yes. Do you believe in Christ? You see clearly enough by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit to see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing you might have life in His name. You see that Jesus Christ is not just one for whom we say thank you for forgiving me, but now that your eyes are wide open and you begin to see to the left and the right, you begin to see all of the spiritual issues of the day and you fail here, but you succeed here and you fail here and you succeed here and you learn and grow and you stumble and fall, but you get up again and when you do, your eyes are beginning to be wide open and you say, yes, Lord. And we're all looking for that day. Some of you are closer, far closer than I. And my vision is not just to the left and the right, but it's seeing at a distance. You can see all the way back to the time when you came to Christ, and you can see all the way forward to a place that we call glory. You know Christ in this way? You love Christ? You want to know Him in a way that says, Lance Quinn, whoever you are, I see Christ clearly from a distance. I love the statement and the spiritual analogy that is so true, as true as this is in this passage of John 9 and the man born blind. Pharisees, blinded by their sin, ask him again, ask his parents. They're not seeing the issues clearly. And they ask him again, We know that God has spoken to Moses, John 9, 29, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. You know what the man born blind said? This is classic. John 9, 30. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. You talk about sight. You talk about that which transcends the natural to the very supernatural, this man had sight. The spiritual cataracts were taken away, and he said, listen, I don't know all that I need to know, and I don't know that I even see from a distance, but what I know is I was blind, but now I see. And what I see is this. It's this man who's done it to me. Pharisees, even then, disbelieved. Even at that crucial moment, we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does His will, He hears Him. Since the beginning of time, the blind man says, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. But since he did what he did, he can do anything. Do you have spiritual sight this morning? I want you to bow your heads. And as your heads are bowed, and even though your eyes are closed, I want you to ask yourself, do I see? Do I see Christ? If I transcended the natural to see Christ in the supernatural, 
Are you a person for whom the Bible would say, they have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. That's true. Ask Jesus Christ, even now, to give you spiritual sight. He's the only one that can do it. He's the only one that can give you true hearing. The hearing of the Word of God. Ask Christ to save you right now. Save me, Christ. I can't see without you. Give me the vision that only you can bring. I do believe that you are the Son of God and that you suffered and died and that on the third day you were raised again and that by believing in you, I can see you. Give me that sight. Give me that hearing of your gospel truth. I pray, Lord, that you would penetrate the hardest of hearts and give that regenerating power of the Holy Spirit to those whom you will, even now, so that we would both see and hear. Lord, I pray for those who are already seeing and hearing this morning, but who it seems have not ever ascended to the next stages of spiritual sight, who are only looking straight ahead but are not aware of the obvious obstructions to the left and to the right, and we keep falling and falling hard. We keep tripping over those things that beset us. Lord, I pray that you would give each and every one of us spiritual sight to an advancing degree that our eyes are wide open and we can see around us and our perception is clear even to the degree that we can see from a distance with a 20-20 vision that only can come from you. Lord, I pray that you would give that to us. Allow us to advance spiritually in our sight to a place where we will see you just as you are. Pray that you would give this to us for your great glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.